Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc., where we deal with consumer issues. Yes, that's right. We deal with consumer issues here. We talk about products and services and how it affects the consumer. We are heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at 6 p.m., and Thursday at 9 a.m. on Tube City Online Radio. But if you happen to miss those regularly scheduled shows, you can hear the podcasts on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. And if you have any ideas of any products or services you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any questions or comments about anything you hear on the show of any of the products or services that we mention on the show, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Alrighty, well, here we are, another day, and if you don't already know, consumer prices have been going up, and uh, a thing called shrinkflation has been happening, and so we'll talk about all that, of what, what's going on. Um, you know, consumer pricing is rising faster for some reason, and if products uh you know companies aren't raising the prices on their uh products they are shrinking the size of their products and charging the same price um gasoline energy costs are going up uh there's even uh rental car shortages and used car shortages going on so it's very complicated right now economically Uh, about what's going on so we're going to delve into a little bit about what is going on and also how it affects the consumers all right so let's go ahead and play audio from a video posted by cbs news it's entitled consumer prices rising at fastest rate in nearly 13 years let's take a listen If you're heading to the grocery store or buying some new appliances, you may notice a bigger hit to your wallet. According to the U.S. Labor Department, consumer prices last month rose at the fastest rate in nearly 13 years. CBS Money Watch Associate Managing Editor Irina Ivanova joins us now to break down what is going on. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Uh, Irina. So, uh, you know, we're hearing sort of all these calls that we're, we're, we're hitting a stretch of inflation and inflation generally is not a bad thing it's only when it sort of rises faster than we can manage it and it feels like that's what's happening now what are some of the factors contributing to the rise in consumer prices so some of what's happening is a technical issue Uh, we're comparing prices this year to last year and if you think about what was happening 
last May, nobody was spending money. We were all holed up watching Netflix and baking sourdough, you know, and a lot of prices had fallen. Um, <laughs> but the other thing that's happening is the economy is reopening all at once. A lot of the economy was just shut down for last year, not producing goods. Uh, and now that the U.S. and parts of the Western world are quickly reopening, it's taking some time to get that production capacity fully up to speed. And then the last thing is we have issues with supply chains. Uh, a lot of what we consume is made far away and it's transported to us just in time for us to buy it. If there's a delay in one of those steps, it can throw off the entire process. Uh, and if you think about it, we've had a lot of examples of such delays. We had the ship stuck in the Suez Canal. We had Texas in a deep freeze in February. We had a major East Coast pipeline being disrupted. Uh, container ships, you know, that ship goods to U.S. ports not being able to unload, uh, and trucks that deliver goods not being able to take everything that needs to be delivered. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been watching the price of lumber. Um, even people within the lumber industry have been sort of flabbergasted. Um, and I know that there are farmers out there who, you know, they used to supply restaurants. Now they got to find another place to sell their goods. And so they're selling somewhere else. And add that, add in the fact that, you know, Many people still had their jobs, so a lot of people lost their jobs, but also people were getting money from the government to kind of keep them afloat. So you have the kind of like, it's almost like a holy trinity of um, inflation. Um, so, but what particular consumer goods are seeing the highest inflation? A lot of what's being hit is the really big ticket items, so things like cars, appliances, and furniture. In fact, those three categories are responsible for more than half of the increase in the consumer price index. Um, so used cars are actually the fastest growing item right now, uh, with the average used car costing something like $25,000. Um, and that's because we've had a shortage of microchips, which are an essential component of cars. Uh, car makers slowed down their production of new cars to accommodate the shortage. And so a lot of car buyers are now turning to used cars, driving up the price. Now, those microchips are in a lot of other things, too. They're in washing machines, microwaves, refrigerators. They're in our cell phones and, of course, our computers. And so a lot of those items are also uh, taking longer to produce and uh, getting pricier. Uh, and then, of course, there's the lumber, uh, which is 300% as expensive now as it was last year. Um, that's making housing more expensive, and that's making furniture for the house more expensive. So, you know, what are the big biggest concerns when we see this sort of rise in prices? Who's hit the hardest? Yeah, when prices go up really fast like this, um, it hurts the poor. It hurts uh, people on low incomes and hurts people on fixed incomes, you know, so people on Social Security, retirees, um, and a lot of people who, who are employed, a lot of them are living on such tight margins that, um, you know, if your grocery bill is $30 higher uh, every week or if you're not able to get a car that you need to get to your job, you know, that's a real struggle. Um, the long-term concern for economists is that the high price could be so high for so long that they drive down economic growth, but we are a long way away from that. So you talked a little bit about kind of the impact of the pandemic and how it messed up supply chains and that kind of threw the whole supply component of this off. Now we are starting to restart the economy and the demand is now putting pressure on the supply. And so there's a mismatch there. Uh, 
my fingers are crossed that once everything sort of gets back online again, then we'll see the numbers go back down. Is there any indication that the inflation may level off anytime soon? Uh, most economists uh, that I've talked to expect it to level off very, very soon. Um, you know, and we really haven't seen mm. a bout of sustained inflation in the U.S. for for going up four decades. Um, you know, the last time we had a, a surge of price increases for a few months like this uh, was in 2008. Um, and the, the expectation is that, you know, as more of the economy reopens, and especially as more of those parts of the economy reopen that uh, we haven't been engaging in, um, you know, so the service economy, uh, going out to restaurants, going out to bars, you know, travel and entertainment, um, a lot of that was shut down. And so people, you know, spent on goods and on fixing up their home. Um, and economists are hoping that as the economy sort of comes back to a full reopening uh, and that spending evens out, that inflation will die down. Well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I saw a really funny meme about the price of lumber, and it was something to the effect of, I'm thinking about selling my house for parts. Don't sell your house for parts. The lumber prices may go back down. Uh, hopefully, it's soon, but at some point. Uh, Rena, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right, so there you go. Uh, the consumer prices are just um, going up. And so here's another article uh from christopher rugeber from the associated press it's entitled u.s consumer prices surge in past year the most since 2008 american consumers faced a third straight monthly surge in prices in june the latest evidence that a rapid reopening of the economy is fueling pent-up spending for goods and services that in many cases remain in short supply um I guess last week's report from the Labor Department showed that consumer prices in June rose 0.9% from May and 5.4% over the past year, the sharpest 12-month inflation spike since June 2008. Excluding volatile oil and gas prices, so-called core inflation rose 4.5% in the past year, the largest increase since November 1991. The pickup in inflation, which largely stems from the economy's rapid recovery from the pandemic recession, has heightened concerns that the Federal Reserve might feel compelled to begin withdrawing its low interest rate policies earlier than expected. If so, that would re risk weakening the economy and potentially derailing the recovery. Fed officials have repeatedly said, though, that they regard the surge in inflation as a temporary response to supply shortages and other short-term disruptions as the economy quickly bounces back. The economy's reopening has led consumers to increasingly travel, dine out, and shop after avoiding crowds for a year. That burst of spending has forced up prices for restaurant meals, clothes, and airplane tickets. A shortage of semiconductors has made new and used cars much more expensive, and rental car prices have soared. So far, investors have largely, largely accepted the Fed's belief that higher inflation will be short-lived, with bond yields signaling that inflation concerns on Wall Street are fading. Now, bond investors now expect inflation to average 2.4% over the next five years, down from 2.7% in mid-May. 
Americans' longer-term views on inflation have also leveled off. A survey by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York released uh, last week found that consumers expect inflation to remain near 5% a year from now. But they expect inflation to be 3.5% three years from now, down slightly from last month. Consumers typically overestimate future inflation. The public's expectations of inflation are important because they can be self-fulfilling. If consumers foresee higher prices, they are likely to demand higher pay, and businesses will try to charge more to offset their higher costs. It's a whole big circle, you know. The Fed is aiming for inflation to exceed its target of 2% for some time to make up for the fact that inflation fell below that level for most of the past decade. The Fed wants inflation to average 2% over time to prevent Americans' inflation expectations from falling too low. So, let's go ahead and hear some audio from a video posted by 23ABC News KERO. It's entitled, Food Prices Soar Nationwide. Let's see what they have to say. And welcome back. While many Americans are dealing with sticker shock at the grocery store right now, restaurants nationwide are also feeling the pinch. Chris Conte shows us why you should be prepared to pay a bit more for what you eat this summer. While it may sit beside the water, not much is cooling off business at the Deck restaurant these days. But customers emerging from more than a year of COVID are being met with a bit of sticker shock. Well, I think everything that's like vacation related is really expensive. Miriam Moser came here with her son, Eli. I like a lobster. You like a lobster. Little does little <laughs> Eli know that lobster he likes is going to cost his mom more, a lot more. I got a lobster roll the other day and I was like, <laughs> it was like $27 or something. I was like, oh man. Talk about something that has a high food cost, you know, I mean, that one's off the charts. But how much can I charge for a lobster roll? As the restaurant's owner, Mark Audette, has struggled with the rising cost of food. When I look at prior years and what my food costs were as a percentage, much, much higher this year. Some of it we can pass on, some of it we cannot. I mean, you know, how much can I charge for a french fry, for example? Lobster, in particular, is more expensive this season. Limited supply, high demand, you know, the whole economics thing. Many consumers are headed back to seafood restaurants and markets for the first time in months. The cost of lobster goes up almost daily, so much so that they don't even bother writing prices on the menus here. Demand is always there, but the pricing is always changing. Assistant manager Samantha Corintillo talks to enough customers to know that many of them have price limits when it comes to that lobster roll. It's about 50-50. Some people are willing to pay and um, because that's what they want, um, and some people are more on the fence about it. You may not even eat lobster, but what's happening to the price of this shellfish is indicative of some much larger market trends. We really are seeing some really significant rises in, in food prices. Jason Lusk is a food economist. He sees firsthand at the grocery store how much more expensive everyday items are. What's happening? Grocery prices skyrocketed when the pandemic hit and never really came back down. Feed and grain are also costing farmers more and those costs end up being passed down to shoppers. Demand for you know, meat, fish products has been surprisingly strong. Among the most expensive items right now, rice, milk, oranges and coffee. Americans on average spend about 10% of their income on food, but it has really disproportionate impacts across our economy. Food price increases hit the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum much harder. 
As for the price of lobster. As the economy is opening back up, there's a lot of money and demand to be spent out there. And I think it, 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 it gets spent sometimes on things like lobsters, uh, other high-end items. At the deck, they've had to absorb many increases related to food costs, decreasing their bottom line. Not easy after the year we just had. I'd rather be busy and have the people come and enjoy what they're doing and rather than like, you know, price them out of the market. One thing keeping restaurants afloat, alcohol sales. Booze hasn't been hit by the same kind of inflation. Just another year leaving restaurant owners like Mark Audette ready for a stiff drink. In Newburyport, Massachusetts, I'm Chris Conti. And here in Kern County, some people say they've been seeing their grocery bills climbing. We asked our viewers about their experiences and how they feel about the increased prices. Here's what a few of you had to say on our Facebook page. First, Maxine says groceries have been going up three to five cents since last May. I've been watching what I purchased. My animal feed has gone up three dollars since last November, especially anything with corn and quote. Another viewer, Jason, says that's what happens when the government prints a ton of money and raises the minimum wage. The cost of everything goes up and then we are back at square one end quote. All right. And so how does this impact us locally here in uh, McKeesport and the surrounding areas? Well, our very own Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online News uh, reporter Jason A. Minanelli uh, has written about this and uh, went around uh, asking our own local people about this issue. He wrote an article, uh, Monyak Shoppers Grin and Bear Rising Prices. Uh, Jason Minanelli is a freelance writer from Pittsburgh's North Hills and a student at Duquesne University. And here is what he writes. As the nation begins exiting the COVID-19 pandemic, many people are noticing that prices on a wide range of goods have gone up. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, overall prices for consumer goods increased 5% between May 2020, when many states, including Pennsylvania, were in lockdowns, and May 2021. Some prices <clears throat> have increased faster than others, according to BOS. Prices for food increased 2.2%, while prices for energy increased 28.5%. Prices for all items, less food and energy, rose 3.8% for the year, ended May 2021, the largest 12-month increase since the year ended June 1992. Lumber prices have more than doubled, with some reports indicating a 250% increase. So here's what Bridget Wasaki from North Versailles Township had to say. If you want to drive, then you're going to pay for gas, whatever the price is. And, you know, she's right. I mean, you can't look at the price. You still got to drive back and forth to work and you need gas to do that. So you got to pay whatever they're offering that product for. Uh, local consumers like Wasaki uh, said that they're feeling the impact but they don't have a choice if you want to drive then you're going to pay for gas whatever the price is wasaki said i don't even really look at the price of gas anymore she said i just figure that i have to buy it if i'm going to drive my car even experts are having a hard time predicting where prices will stabilize as the pandemic recedes audrey gusky and 
Associate Professor of Marketing at Duquesne University and Consumer Trends Expert says COVID-19 was once in a lifetime unprecedented and never happened before situation. Gusky said the price hikes are the result of two things, a lack of products to sell at the same time, demand is rapidly increasing. She calls them a direct result of supply chain issues accompanied with the loosening of the pandemic restrictions. Many people were hibernating in their homes and were unsure about work or if they would even have a job, so they were not spending, Gusky said. Then there was a lack of social gatherings. So you see things like women's cosmetics, beauty products uh, that were not being purchased for over a year. Now there's a high demand for them. Another sector of the economy seeing rapid price increases is real estate. Fortune magazine reported in May that housing prices on average were up 15.5% in May over the previous year. Houses are selling more quickly as well. According to one report in 2020, houses were typically on the market for 38 days. In May, homes were selling within 18 days. Meanwhile, homeowners who are trying to remodel instead of purchasing a new house are now caught in the middle of some of the highest lumber prices the country has ever seen, Gusky said. I know people that were actually in the middle of remodeling their home and now they had to put it on hold because the prices are just crazy, she said. The hot housing market is obviously good news for sellers, Gusky said. If you're trying to buy a house in this market, then it's not so good, she said. The cost of lumber is just at an outrageously high price, and my fear is that some products may never come back down to where they were. This reminds me a lot of the inflation in the 1970s. And we'll hear from the Wall Street Journal about that comparison actually later in the show. One positive note, Gusky said, is that interest rates have remained low. But really, as consumers, we just have to hope that the spending stabilizes at some point. Local residents agree that there is a significant increase in the price of everyday products, but many people aren't letting it get them down. We are hopefully taking a vacation, said Darling Carson of McKeesport. The price of groceries and everything is up, but we are hopefully still going to go somewhere. Sharice Richards, an emergency medical technician who lives in McKeesport, said the price of gasoline won't make her skip a summer holiday. We are definitely still going on vacation in August despite the rise in prices, she said. I work way too hard to miss my vacation. We will be going to Myrtle Beach. Gusky said many Americans are eager to get away this year as they try to get life back to normal. It's like if you give a kid a dollar bill and don't let him spend it for a year, then all of a sudden you let him go spend it. However, Gusky said, consumers shouldn't panic into buying things they don't need or taking trips they can't afford. Look for alternative products where you can save some money or possibly Google around and do your research to get the best prices that you can for now. Gusky said that economists are hopeful that prices and the housing market will stabilize later this summer. For now, she said, consumers should just follow the advice of the experts and try to be smart. Again, that was written by our very own Tube City Almanac, Tube City Online News, Jason Mininelli. And he is, again, a freelance writer from Pittsburgh's North Hills and a student at Duquesne University. So, in addition to increasing consumer prices, we also 
have a problem with what's called shrinkflation. So let's listen to some audio uh, from a video posted by CBS News to find out what is shrinkflation. Shrinkflation hits food and household products. So let's take a listen. Many manufacturers of food and household items are reducing the sizes of their products but keeping prices the same. This process, known as shrinkflation, is a result of heightened costs to produce raw materials during the pandemic. CBS Money Watch reporter Amy Peakey has been covering this and joins me now. Amy, good to have you on the show. So in what ways has the pandemic actually made it harder to produce raw materials needed for many food and household products? Yeah, there, there are a few things going on here. Um, number one, labor costs have gone up considerably in the past year, and this is because of the pandemic. Um, a lot of people were forced out of the labor force uh, because of the pandemic and still aren't ready to return to the labor market. And so, um, you know, a lot of producers are struggling to find workers. So that's number one. Uh, number two, shipping costs are up uh, quite a bit as well. Shipping costs from Asia are double or triple what they were before the pandemic. Um, a lot of raw, raw materials come from Asia. Um, truckers, too, are in short supply in the U.S., and that's also raising the cost of just getting goods from producers to the store. And then lastly, um, you know, restaurants and stores are reopening right now at full steam. And so they need those materials. They need the steaks to put on uh, the grill to serve their customers. They need lettuce. They need tomatoes. And Americans are buying the same things at the store. So it's leading to an increase in supply or, sorry, demand at a time when there's just not enough supply to meet that demand. And that's increasing the costs as well. Um, I'm wondering which products in particular have been the most severely impacted by these higher production costs, Amy? Yeah, um, well, beef has been impacted quite a bit. Um, beef is actually up about 20% in the last month alone. So um, that's something that might give some shoppers some sticker shock when they go to the grocery store. Um, one other area that's seen a lot of increase in costs are household cleaning goods. Those are up about 8% from a year ago. And that's like the Clorox wipes that everybody wanted to get at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but it's also the raw materials that go into things like plastic bags, um, plastic wraps, and plates. Um, those costs have also gone up quite a bit. So you're going to be paying more here and there. And one consumer expert I spoke to said, you know, the real challenge for consumers and trying to keep their budget under control is figuring out, well, what am I paying more for? Because it's not always obvious what's going on with prices. Um, that's what happens with shrinkflation is you're paying the same amount for an item, but you're get, actually getting less in the box. And so, you know, ultimately your costs do go up, even if your bill looks like the same, it's the same price. So the challenge is kind of figuring out, well, where are you paying more? Um, you know, looking at that and deciding, well, maybe I should find something else to buy in place of that beef if it's going up 20%. You know, Amy, um, it seems like brands uh, who choose to decrease the size of their food products as opposed to increasing the price are trying to almost fool the consumers. Is that an effective strategy? Well, you know, they're not really trying to, it's an interesting idea. The, 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 the problem is for them is that they understand that consumers buy on price. They're looking at the ultimate price that they're paying at the uh, register when they check out. And so they know that suddenly if that 
ice cream goes up $2 a pint, they're not going to buy it. But if they shrink that pint to something smaller and charge the same price, people will still buy it. They might not notice that, um, the, that they're getting less. And so it's not necessarily, you know, tricking, although some people, if they do notice it, tend to get very upset by this. Um, there was some uh, cat food that shrank their cans, and some of the buyers of the cat food noticed and got a little upset. Like, I'm paying the same for less uh, food for my pet. So, you know, the thing is they have to, the grocery stores and the manufacturers often have very thin margins, and they're trying to manage their costs and how they can make sure they keep their customers satisfied without giving in on the margins um, because that could possibly put them out of business, you know, so they are in a tough spot as well. You know, when, um, when manufacturers increase the prices on goods, it's easy to see that as the economy goes up and down, those prices can fluctuate. But when you're actually changing the size, that includes changing the packaging, I'm, I'm wondering if this is now a new normal or if shrinkflation is expected to end, or we should just assume that these items that are smaller and are the same price are going to remain that way. Well, the experts I spoke to said you can expect to see this for a while until basically things kind of even out um, right now in the pandemic. And that could be until later this year, possibly. Um, you know, inflation right now is up uh, quite a bit. Not quite a bit, but it's up. And um, that's not expected to kind of drop down or stabilize until probably maybe this fall is what economists are saying. So it's possible that you might continue to see shrinkflation and more examples of shrinkflation um, through, you know, late next year. So just be on the watch is what experts say. Be on the watch as a consumer. Um, you know, check what you're buying and check how much you're getting when you buy it. All right. Amy Peaky, thank you. Thank you, Lana. All right, so that is what shrinkflation is all about. So if they don't want to raise the price of the product, they will shrink the product and you will buy it for the same price, hoping that nobody will notice, I suppose. So here is an article uh, from New York CNN Business News written by Nathaniel Meyerson. Uh, Why your cereal boxes and ice cream cartons are shrinking. Less cereal in the box, smaller snack sizes, ice cream gone missing in a container. You're not losing your mind. You are actually paying the same price for more these days for everyday items in your fridge and pantry, but running through them more quickly because their sizes have shrunk. The reason? A tactic known as shrinkflation deployed by consumer product brands and grocery stores. The phenomenon, uh, getting less for your money because a manufacturer has reduced the size of the product, has been going on for decades. But it typically becomes more common when companies' costs go up like the inflation surge we are seeing today. Yeah, I probably first noticed this with ice cream. Like a gallon of ice cream used to be a gallon of ice cream, and now it's like maybe, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, maybe a half a gallon. But for the same price. They don't drop the prices, right? So when, uh, you know, when costs rise, manufacturers of consumer goods look for ways to offset the increases. They are paying for commodities, uh, transportation, labor, and other expenses. In response, they usually raise prices on existing products or whittle down the sizes of their goods, thereby increasing the price per unit of what you're getting. 
Those increases are then passed on to shoppers via stores who purchase products from consumer goods companies. Consumers are sensitive to price hikes, but they pay less attention to how much a product weighs. While product quantities are printed on labels, few people actually take the time to do the math to figure out exactly what they're paying per ounce. That means it's easier for a brand to sneak in a slightly smaller box on the shelf or take a few sheets out of a toilet paper roll than it is to raise prices without consumers reacting and perhaps switching brands or not buying the product. Now, I would assume that it would be easier to do that with toilet paper. I mean, I don't think anybody counts how many sheets is on a toilet paper roll. And I don't think they really uh, put that on the packaging, right? They'll just say you get, you know, five or six mega rolls. Well, how many sheets does a mega roll uh, add up to? Who knows? I mean, do, do we really know that as consumers? I don't know. <laughs> so... Consumers are price conscious. They will notice if an orange juice manufacturer, for example, raises the shelf price from $2.99 to $3.19. But if the manufacturer makes the carton of orange juice several ounces less in each carton, they know consumers may not catch it, and that's because consumers are not net weight conscious. Shrinkflation has a long history, according, uh, and has uh, led to smaller toilet paper rolls, candy bars, and potato chip bags for over the years. A few recent examples of products that have been slimmed down. Cocoa Puffs family size box has dropped from 19.3 ounces to 18.1 ounces, while Cinnamon Toast Crunch has fallen from 19.3 ounces to 18.8 ounces. The new smaller boxes were $3.99, the same price as the larger boxes. That means consumers lost a bowl of cereal when they purchased the new one. Consumers are getting fewer snacks uh, for their buck, too. Wheat Thins box ha uh, that, has, that had dropped from a pound in April to 14 ounces in May. The price was $3 for both boxes. Um, companies don't often come out and say they are dropping their product sizes. Instead, they'll say things like they are adjusting their price pack architecture. There's been a lot of talk of such changes recently with inflation on the rise and companies announcing price hikes. There is at least one company that has come out and told customers that it's shrinking sizes because it's becoming more expensive to make products. Tillamook, a creamery in Oregon, announced that it was reducing its family size container of ice cream from 56 ounces to 48 ounces because of higher costs for ingredients like berries while keeping the price the same. In order to be profitable and support our farmer owners, we had two choices, increase the unit price per carton or reduce the carton size from 56 ounces to 48 ounces and keep the price the same, the company said. It was a difficult decision to make, but we decided to choose the latter so that the affordable cost per carton of ice cream did not change for our fans. Some consumer goods analysts expect companies to further reduce package sizes because of higher costs. The producer price index, which measures prices paid by businesses, rose 7.3% in June from a year ago, according to the Labor Department. The June rise was the largest since the government started tracking 12-month data in November 2010. So there you go. There's your 
education on shrinkflation and just because prices haven't gone up you may still be paying more for less um, and you just are not noticing it all right so either way they'll get you but i think shrinkflation is just a, a sneaky way of trying to gain more money and like the creamery in oregon they just came out and said hey this is what we're gonna do because this is the reason and you know so you might be able to accept that if you are a real big fan of it but i just don't i just don't see a difference between you know whether they would raise the price or shrink the product there, there's really no difference because you're still paying more for less um so you know i don't you know whether they do it that way or do it the other way it makes no difference to the consumer is they're still um getting the same amount of money and you're getting less so or you know if they charged more you're still paying more for the same amount there's no really no difference so all right all right so uh the wall street journal came out with a video recently that is entitled what the inflation of the 1970s can teach us today so let's take a listen and what they have to say about that everyone is talking about inflation 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 it's the word that's been on everyone's lips lately and some are looking back at history in fact we've not heard inflation talked this much since really the the 1970s. That's because over the past few months, prices for everything from gasoline to groceries have been rising sharply as the economy roars back from the pandemic recession. This graph charts the Consumer Price Index, a metric that measures the average change in prices for consumer goods and services compared to a year ago, or more simply put, inflation. In May of this year, prices spiked 5%, to reach the highest annual inflation rate in nearly 13 years. Many economists believe that a small amount of inflation, around 2%, is inevitable and even desirable. That's essentially what we've had for the past 15 years before this most recent surge. But these recent increases have some fearing that the U.S. might be returning to the runaway inflation of the 1970s. No one wants to see that um, happen again. So. Are we returning to the spiraling inflation of the late 1960s and 1970s? Or is today's inflation, as the Fed assures us, transitory? This is uh, an extraordinarily unusual time. For those old enough to remember it, the Great Inflation was a period in which the cost of living for millions of Americans soared. From 1965 to 1982, prices for food and everyday consumer items rose dramatically from 2% in 1962 to 15% in 1979. During that same period, unemployment also rose steadily, eventually reaching just above 10%. The term stagflation, an economic condition of both rising inflation and increasing unemployment, became the go-to phrase to describe the period's economic malaise. This was a time when consumers protested rising meat prices, union members picketed for cost-of-living pay increases, and long lines for unemployment and gas became commonplace. Here in New Jersey, 10% of the workforce is unemployed. Across the nation, the average is 8%. The main lesson from the 70s is that kind of nagging, persistent, recurrent double-digit inflation 
doesn't happen overnight. It sets in over many years. And it set in because of a long series of policy mistakes in Washington. Great inflation has its roots in the government spending of the 1960s. Consumer prices began rising under President Johnson as he escalated the Vietnam War and launched his Great Society social programs. But the double-digit inflation the period is famous for didn't begin until President Richard Nixon took office. The time has come for a new economic policy for the United States. In 1971, Nixon ordered that the dollar would no longer be backed by gold. Inflation robs every American, every one of you. Nixon also influenced the Fed's monetary policy, pushing the central bank to pump more money into the economy and keep interest rates low. By letting inflation uh, rise uh, gradually for a number of years, uh, the, uh, the Fed compromised uh, uh, the trust the public held that the Fed would maintain price stability. Businesses and households started expecting that inflation would persist. As prices went up, workers started pressing in part for unions. As wages went up, companies started raising prices even more. And we got this game of leapfrog where prices and wages both went up. We must whip inflation right now. These policy missteps continued under President Ford. And later under President Carter, the issue was exacerbated further by OPEC's oil embargoes. A more serious domestic problem. That problem is inflation. It wouldn't be until President Jimmy Carter appointed Paul Volcker as the chairman of the Federal Reserve that the great inflation finally began to disappear. Paul Volcker, the Fed chairman, said, I'm going to stop this cycle. And he clamped down on the growth of money supply and he jacked up interest rates. It caused two very severe recessions. But that, it turned out to be really what needed to happen to get inflation under control. Volcker's inflation crackdown represented a new chapter for America's monetary policy. In the 1960s and 1970s, the Fed did not have a, an articulated inflation targeting strategy that inflation should be around 2%. And so they were not focused on, um, on keeping inflation under control. In the 1970s, the Fed was not even willing to commit to what they meant by price stability. It was kind of, trust us, trust us, we will deliver, which is horrible policy. Today, we can see some clear similarities between our modern inflationary period and that of the 1970s. Just like the 70s, prices are rising. The Federal Reserve has increased the money supply, and government spending is up. But comparing today's inflation with that of the entire great inflation, especially the 1970s, is not accurate. I graduated from college in 1975. I had a front row seat. Uh, that nothing like that, I, I, I don't expect anything like that to happen. Today's inflation and the threat that we have is actually like the, the last half of the 1960s. It's not like the 1970s. In the mid-1960s, inflation had been running about 2%. By the end of the 1960s, inflation went to about 5%. Right, the last inflation reading we had was still below 5%. And so you're nowhere near 20%, which was the highest inflation reading at the end of the 1970s. There's almost no period in the 1970s that had as inflation as low as we have now. 
Some of the um, recent spikes uh, in inflation are a very healthy sign of the, uh, of the recovery. What we experienced last year wasn't normal. Take uh, airfares in the airline industry. We had this dramatic drop of, of airfares that was a sign of, uh, of the risk that the whole industry would collapse. It's a healthy sign that we see a reversal of those increases uh, today. For their part, the Fed says it remains committed to its long-held stance that today's inflation is temporary. The Fed believes that we're having a supply shock. And so that's causing shortages in temporary pricing. That's the Fed's theory. What we're seeing now, we believe, is uh, inflation in particular categories of goods and services that are being directly affected by this unique historical event that none of us has lived through before called reopening the economy after, after closing it. Every time we have an economic recovery from a recession, we expect to see uh, inflation rise above 2% for a while. That's normal. If it turns out that these impacts are more than transitory, if they're lasting, they persist or even increase, then the Fed might have to do something to stop it. On June 16th, Federal Reserve officials signaled that they expect to raise interest rates by late 2023, sooner than they anticipated in March. All right, so the Wall Street Journal has just educated us on what the inflation of the 1970s can teach us today, and hopefully uh, it does. You know, uh, they do say history is supposed to teach us what to do when the next uh crisis comes along well hopefully we can uh, get past this without any pain or affliction or anything like that but you know with all these shortages like rental cars we mentioned before um, you know how's that going to affect people's vacations um, as darling Carson and Sharice Richards of McKee Sports said they're going on vacation but uh, how are they going to handle this shortage of rental cars? Um, you know, or anything else that they would need for a good vacation, right? So if you're wondering about why there's a shortage of rental cars, especially if you're going on vacation and you're being frustrated by trying to find one or you're paying higher prices for a sa the same, you know, maybe economy car that you would have rented last year, uh, the Wall Street Journal posted a video. And so we'll hear audio on the video, what's behind the rental car shortage. So let's take a listen. Americans are traveling again. But if your summer travel plans involve a rental car, be prepared for long lines and sticker shock. I think it's all over the country. Uh, there isn't one area where you can find a cheap rental car. Using a car right now is expensive, whether you're buying it or renting it. According to the travel website Kayak, rental car prices in the first two weeks of June are up 89% for the July 4th weekend, compared to with the same dates in 2019, and as much as 300% in some places. But even if you decide to pony up the additional cash for a vehicle, many reservations are simply not being honored by rental agencies. And travelers have reported showing up at rental counters only to be turned away because there aren't enough cars on the lot. So, 
why have rental cars become so expensive? And how long can we expect these high prices to last? It's a pretty classic supply and demand issue. There are not a lot of rental cars to go around because these companies downsized their fleets when nobody was using them. At the beginning of the pandemic, travel of any kind really collapsed. Uh, particularly air travel, which the rental car companies rely on very heavily. Uh, and so there was this situation where they had to react very quickly to a very rapid drop in demand. For months, the pandemic transformed airports into ghost towns, which in turn wiped out about two-thirds of the rental car business. What happens is all of the rental car companies react quickly, sell off their cars before they lose too much value, downsize their fleets, cut costs, downsize their staff. I mean, find every way to pinch pennies and stay alive, really. It was a, it was a make or break moment for these companies. To survive, many rental car agencies sold off large parts of their fleet. It's a great time to sell cars too, because new car production has still, still hasn't normalized. So they sold a lot of cars to build cash flow, but then they also sold cars in order to right size to demand. And so you had a double whammy uh, in terms of supply getting cut. And then you also had Hertz go bankrupt. In May of 2020, Hertz filed for bankruptcy. But Mazzari sees a silver lining in the disruption. COVID was a blessing in disguise for this industry because it created pricing discipline and supply discipline. These companies basically had to cut their fleet size down by 35%. So this was a dysfunctional oligopoly. Uh, supply was never tight. This summer, consumer demand has returned, and now a new problem has arisen. There's an extreme shortage of new cars. When demand came back, it did not trickle back. It came back almost overnight. And you have these companies that have right-sized themselves to a market that basically wasn't using them before. Uh, and they just weren't prepared. We're also hearing is that these companies are so desperate to get fleet that they're buying cars in the used car market, which is in the auction market. So don't be surprised if you get into some rental car that has a lot more miles on it. Exacerbating the car shortage issue is another shortage, semiconductors. Automakers have said the production of new vehicles has been slowed because of chip shortages. New car production with a chip shortage isn't going to normalize until Q4. So for these companies, it's going to be very tough to add fleet back this year. And so this year, pricing is going to remain very high. In separate statements to the Wall Street Journal, both Hertz and Enterprise acknowledge that customers might have a tougher time securing a rental because of the spike in demand. Enterprise wrote, while still below pre-pandemic fleet levels, our fleet is not down significantly. A key challenge right now is the global chip shortage impacting new car availability. Hertz wrote, the microchip shortage is also affecting the car rental industry, but Hertz is working closely with our automotive partners to add new vehicles to our fleet as quickly as possible, while also moving vehicles to the areas with highest demand. If you have to rent a car this summer, Mazari recommends booking early and booking backwards. Typically, travelers book flights or hotels first, but that strategy won't work this year. You, you essentially, you just have to book in advance uh, and, and, and kind of pay, pay up for it and be prepared for that, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to get one. 
All right, so there's a lot of moving components to the economy at this time as far as contributing to uh, inflation, a shortage of products, uh, and high demand for those products. Um, So, you know, again, there's a lot of components and a lot of products that are affected by this also because of the pandemic uh because there was very low demand for some of the stuff or products or services that occurred just in normal everyday life i mean low low demand such as cosmetics and uh then you all of a sudden have restrictions removed and now that low demand has turned into a very high demand for products and uh, companies are struggling to keep up and uh, with the uh, with the demand. So there's a lot of components that's making this eco- uh, economic situation uh, the way it is. All right. So this uh, is the end of the show. If you have any questions or comments on anything that you heard on the show today or any other um you know, any other show that you've heard, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. Any questions, any comments is welcomed. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we don't know the answer, we'll research it and get back to you, of course. And we are on Facebook, or I am on Facebook at Consumer Review Report, uh, and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. And if you have any ideas of any products or services that you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesports. Any ideas, any ideas that you would like to hear, we can either do a review on a product, you know, if you're not sure if you know you want to purchase a product and you want to know more information about it we can do that and have a show on that um anything so anything consumer related we like to do that here on the consumer review report on tube city online radio a service of tube city online tube city community media inc and we are regularly scheduled on Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at 6 p.m., and Thursday at 9 a.m. on Tube City Online Radio, which uh, has links uh, to um, TuneIn. I'm sure you can listen to us on TuneIn if you're wondering how to listen to us. But again, regularly scheduled on Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Now, If you are not able to hear the regularly scheduled shows at Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m., podcasts of these shows are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. So there's all kinds of ways you can listen to this show if you are interested in consumer issues and how... It can impact you. I'm Diane Rebecca, wishing everyone a safe and good week.